hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. Good afternoon and welcome back to Soul to Soul. It's great to be with you here on this fabulous day. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman and... As we do each week here between 1 and 2 on Thursday afternoons, we talk about interesting things related to current affairs, current events, the Torah portion of the week. And today, we're continuing a theme we've been discussing over the last several weeks. And that is we've been talking about the strength, the survival of the Jewish nation in the land of Israel. And there's no better Torah portion in which to talk about the beauty and the sanctity of the land of Israel, because I would say that this week's portion, Parshat Ekev, is hands down the portion of Eretz Yisrael. The Torah basically extols and describes the virtues of the Holy Land in extraordinary language. And you just take a look and take a peek in this week's portion. It's a love song for the eternal homeland of the Jewish people, the land of our ancestors, of our matriarchs and our patriarchs. And we see it in this week's portion, interestingly, and a question that some people ask is, why sort of at the beginning of the portion in chapter 8 is one set of praises, and then later on it continues in chapter 11, three chapters later. And in order to understand it, I'd like to look at another interesting element that we encounter in this week's Torah portion, and that is the blessings, the grace after meals, the benching that we do every day. Of course, that is if you eat bread during the week, we bench. But in today's, these days, you know, we're on the low carb diet, so many of us don't eat bread until Shabbos, and only then do we have a chance to bench. But as Jews, obviously, we believe that everything is created and sustained by God. And therefore, based on that, and as a basic virtue, before we partake of eating something, even when we're desperately hungry, we sort of ask permission and express our gratitude for the food that's available for us. But even more so, after we've concluded eating, it is a way of expressing, articulating our appreciation for what we have. There's a beautiful verse that we say in Tehillim, and it's part of the Shir Shalyom on Sundays, that we describe the entire world belonging to Hashem. And based on this verse we learn that a person's required to recite a blessing every time before we start eating something and any time before we take part of any pleasure actually in this world. So by making a blessing, by saying that bracha before eating, we recognize that everything in this world is created by and belongs to Hashem, Hashem Ha'aretz Malah. Before, you know, even when we write our names inside our books, we put that Lamed Hevav. You may have seen it, a lot of people scribble on top of the page. Which stands for To God is the world and all of its content. So when we make the bracha before we eat, it's our asking permission before we indulge in that food, the delicious gastronomic delights we're about to consume. It's our way of showing respect for God's property. And perhaps more importantly, constantly acknowledging this idea also reinforces in our own minds the conception of God's authority of everything that we have, everything that exists in this world. There's a beautiful piece of Gemara in Tractate Brachas 35b. It talks about the Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa said, he said, to enjoy this world without a bracha, without reciting that blessing, 
is like robbing Hashem. As it says, and he quotes a verse that says, he who robs his parents, this is not a sin. This person is the companion of a destroyer. It's a verse in Mishli in Proverbs. And what is father, when it says here he's robbing his parents, father is none other than Hashem, the Holy One, blessed is he. As it says, that Hashem, and we read this in Devarim, he is not your father, is he not your father who has established you? And mother is none other than our community, because it says, Shema b'ni Musa ravicha, hear my son, the instruction of your father, don't forsake the teachings of your mother. Anyways, in Shulchan Aruch and many other places, we see the way it talks about the importance of our blessings, of saying a blessing before we eat food, and expressing our gratitude afterwards. And the truth is, that the Torah requires us to make, from a biblical perspective, it's only required to make that blessing after we eat a meal. So the blessing before is something that's discussed much in halacha, and it's a matter of a rabbinic enactment that we praise God before we eat. But the blessing afterwards is actually one that we encounter in this week's parsha again. It says, That you'll eat, you'll be satiated, and you'll bless Hashem your God. So the blessings that we make after eating is a biblical enactment as we see clearly in our parsha, whereas the blessings for before eating is actually a rabbinic enactment. And actually, before the era of the Anshikhnesa Sagadola, there was no actual standard there was no real version of prayer that, as it was per se. You know, today, most sitters, whether you pick up a Nusach Sfarda or Nusach Ashkenaz or Ariza, whatever version of the prayers you read from, it is pretty much similar. We all have a similar format that we follow in the way we pray. But long ago, there was no format. It was your personal expression, how you personally wanted to express your feelings, your prayers to God. Everyone prayed in their own language, in their own unique style, in their own individual way. But then came the time of Ezra Hasofer. Ezra the scribe, he was a spiritual and political Jewish leader. He was the head of the great assembly. And a year after the completion of the Bayit Sheni, the second temple, by Jews who returned to Israel. Remember, the majority of Jews actually stayed behind. Ezra led a second wave of exiles from Babylon back to Israel. But remember, many Jews stayed behind in Persia and Iran. Life was good for them there and in Babylon and in Egypt. So Ezra taught and encouraged Jews to be more observant in the laws of the Torah and following the mitzvahs. And therefore, Ezra, as the head then of the Anshik Nesat of the Great Assembly, he started to formulize to actually, he saw that people have difficulty in expressing themselves eloquently in, a, in the appropriate way. So Ezra decided to establish a standardized version, a text that we follow to this day. Now, how we get to different versions of our prayers is possibly because people didn't maybe remember or different versions started to follow. I'm not sure exactly how it became, how it came about. But the point is that Ezra and the Anshik Tagdola, they're the ones who introduced the format of prayer as we know it today. But the thing is, making blessings on the food that we eat 
Actually, if anyone is familiar with Birchat Hananim, the laws related to food, to the blessings we say for food, actually gets quite complicated. You know, and everything everything in Judaism, there's always order and structure. So it's not enough that we just make a blessing. There's actually also an order. What blessings have to be recited first, and in what order, what comes before the other. And even more specifically, when we sit down at our table to eat, say it's just a platter of fruits. There are laws about which fruit actually gets the first blessing, meaning when I am about to consume the food, I'm putting it into my mouth. All I'm having is fruits. It's only one blessing. But which one goes into my mouth first? And the Talmud discusses this in Tractate Brachas in great detail. I'll give you a little sampling of the Gemara there, but basically we got different opinions. Rav Chista and Rav Hamnuna were seated at a meal, the Gemara says. And they were served dates and pomegranates. So Rav Hamnuna, he made the blessing over the dates. Chista asked them, do you agree that those fruit mentioned earlier in the verse take precedence when reciting a bracha? Rav Hamnuna responded, the dates are mentioned second after the word, right? If we go into the verse in the, in the Torah, it says, Eretz, Chita, Saora, right? The Torah describes the land of Israel and each of the fruit that are unique and special to the land. Whereas pomegranates, Rimon, comes fifth. So the dates come third. And, uh, sorry, the dates come much closer, right? So which one do we, you know, basically have a debate here. Two scholars, great Talmudic sages living in Babylon, in Iraq. And they're debating about which blessing, which blessing, which fruit do we recite the blessing? And according to a verse from our portion, Eretz Chitos Ora, Gefen Ota'ena, Verimon, Eretz Zeit Shemen Advash. So now the question is, if you have the word here, Ta'ena, which precedes the word Rimon, okay, sorry, so Ta'ena is before the word Rimon, which means Ta'ena means dates, Rimon means pomegranate, so shouldn't then the Shouldn't the dates? Okay, I'm I'm confusing you a little bit. The word let's let's go back to the verse. Eretz chita usara, a land of wheat and barley, right? Gefenuteena, vines and figs. So grapes will come third. Okay, then figs, then pomegranates. Then again comes the next part of the words. The verse says Eretz zeit shemen advash, a land of Zet Shemen is olive producing, uh, oil producing olives. And Devash is the honey dates. So the question is now, what comes first? The pomegranates, which are fifth in the verse, or the, the honey dates? Now, although honey dates are seventh, it's the last in the verse, but it comes second after the word land. So maybe because it comes closer to the word of land, the Talmud is debating, or rather these two great sages, Rav, Ham, Rav Chista and Rav Amnuna, are debating which one do we make the blessing on? Is it on the dates or is it on the pomegranates? Rav Chista felt that the blessing should reflect order of the verse, and that's why he did his blessing on the pomegranate. Whereas Rav Amnuna says we go to, well, he's referring to the word that is closer to the word Eretz, land. So quite an interesting debate in the Talmud. And I'm not going to go into the conclusion to the verdict right now, but I think 
you know, if you go into the law itself, if a person sits down to eat different kinds of fruits, all obviously require the same blessing of Borei Priya eights. Which one do you make the bracha on first? And generally speaking, we follow the order of the verse in this week's portion. So, for example, if you're having grapes, right, the the grapes will take precedence over other fruits. Why? Because grapes are mentioned earlier in the verse. So if you're sitting down and you're having a whole meal, grapes and apples, you're going to make the blessing on the grapes, even though it's covering the apples as well. If you're sitting down to eat several fruit which are in this verse then, which one, which bracha were you going to recite on, which fruit are you going to recite that blessing? And the halacha requires that we recite the bracha in this order in a case over the, the fruit is mentioned closer to the word Eretz actually. So therefore, if you're looking, if you're having pomegranates and you're having dates, it seems to be from the halachic element that the fruit, the dates, are going to get that precedence because it's closer to the word Eretz. Now, of course, I'm not giving any halachic verdict here at the moment. I'm just sharing with you a little bit of interesting halachic analysis. But what about if you're having bread? Not not bread. Let's sorry. I said during the eat during the week, we don't like having bread. Okay, let's say we're having cake. Okay, cake and fruits. Which one are you going to eat first? Meaning, which one are you going to set the blessing over first? So, in this case, because the bread, because mezonot, and obviously, if, even if it's not bread, even mezonot, because it comes from the grain, comes from wheat or barley or spelt or oats or even rye, right? Then you're going to make the blessing on the mezonot, because wheat and barley are actually closest to the word Eretz at the beginning of the verse. So, as you can tell, it's very interesting, and the laws get very complex. And if you're eating fruit from the seven species, these seven unique kinds that are mentioned in the verse, and another fruit that's not amongst them, then the seven kinds are going to come first, right? But if you're eating it, if you're eating those specific kinds of fruit then we're going to choose the one, you're going to recite the blessing ha'etz over the one that is closest to the word Eretz, the land, describing the land. So the sequence would be then olives, dates, grapes, figs, and then pomegranates, although pomegranates precedes dates, but because it is further from the word Eretz, the land, that's why it is in that particular sequence. Now, I know that's complex, and that's not really the intention of today's discussion, but I just went into this little bit of a diversion in order to share with you a little bit of the complexity and how interesting and fascinating it works in the halachic element. And when we come back, what I would like to do is to learn some very powerful, relevant lessons, how this is all applied to our lives today. What is the meaning of this all? Why is this even important to know the sequence of the words and the verse? What difference does that make? And we'll be right back. This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 High FM. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kiev, and it's great to be with you this afternoon. We are discussing our holy land of Israel and its messages in the Torah portion this week. So far, we've been talking a little bit about the description of the land of Israel in our Torah portion, as well as 
the law related to benching, thanking God for the food we eat, and more particularly, we were talking about the blessings related to the produce of the land of Israel. And we described that if you're eating fruit, then we go in the sequence of the verse of which which types of fruit are closer to the word Eretz in the verse in the Torah portion describing the land of Israel and its unique fruits. Eretz Chita Saora, Gefen Te'ena, Verimon Eretz Vash, the verse that describes a land of wheat and barley, vines and figs and pomegranates, a land of oil-producing olives and honey dates. If you're eating cake or bread, then those will come first because the verse mentions those first. Now, obviously, it's very well known that the rabbis, when talking about the great sages of long ago in the Talmud, they often conveyed very profound ideas through these anecdotal messages. And if they're debating the laws related to the fruits of the land of Israel, as much as it is a practical, pragmatic element about which blessing we say first, I think there is something much deeper at play here. And therefore, I would like to talk about two forms of devotion that we as Jews have to the land of Israel, our commitment to the land. And that is why, esoterically, the verse mentions the word land twice within this verse. It seems grammatically inappropriate and correct to say the word land twice and to cause all this confusion. But I think there is a more important message at play here. There are Jews who are more focused on the spiritual and sublime land of Israel. And there are others who are more devoted primarily to the physical and the earthly land of Israel. Let me explain what I mean. You see, some Jews are keenly sensitive to the sanctity, to the holiness of the land of Israel. Eretz HaKodesh, the holy land. And these are Jews entrenched in Torah learning and the spiritual matters. They're aware of the fact that all mitzvahs connected to agriculture and the land, they are familiar with the laws of tithing of Meiser and Arla and Shemitah and all that. And how we could even do it today. Because the very soil of the land of Israel is holy, it's sacred. And the very vegetables and the fruits that grow from the physical earth, they see it all as truly holy. And these are Jews who understand and appreciate that Israel is the spiritual epicenter of the universe. The space in which heaven and earth are interlaced. A country in which angels and souls could be seen in the rocks and the mountains where prophecy once prevailed and where the Spirit of God still dwells in a most magnificent and amazing way. And so these people are described by the Talmud that they see the sanctity, they understand how beautiful the land of Israel is, and they see the spiritual element of the land of Israel. And those who read the keynote on Tishabav last week, we understand there, there's a description. It says, If I could roam in the places where God exposed himself to Zion's prophets and messengers, they understood how spiritual and holy the land of Israel was. And so, here you have a spiritual description of the land that it's it's a holy place. That's one element. 
And then there are other Jews. They focus more so on the physical dynamics, the practical, pragmatic needs of the land of Israel. The security, the safety of its citizens, the economic, financial needs of the country. As a clever person once said, Israel's a beautiful and awesome country. It's just located in a bad neighborhood, a very bad neighborhood, you know what I mean. So the focus of those people is mostly on the Eretz, on the second element, the land in the verse, not the sublime, not the spiritual holiness of the land of Israel, but the earthly Israel. A part, a country that's located in a bad neighborhood needs to be protected, needs to be sustained. And so, if we could go back to that verse. And the verse says, A land of wheat and barley, vines and figs and pomegranates. A land of oil-producing olives. As we see, the word land, Eretz, appears twice in the verse. At the beginning, and then after five of after mentioning five different kinds of its species, of its produce. The first list of produce, right? The first time it says the word Eretz, a land, there it represents those who are attuned to the spiritual properties of the land. And this group consists of five fruits and grains. Like I said, wheat and barley, vines, figs, and pomegranates. That, our sages tell us, corresponds to the five books of Moses, the Chumash, the five books of the Torah. Their devotion to Eretz Yisrael, it stems from the world of Torah. And it stems from an awareness of the spiritual, the Torah perspective of Israel. And so that's the five. The second list had only two items, olives and honey dates. In ancient civilization, olive oil was used to heal wounds. And we're still aware to this very day the beneficial effects olive oil has on high blood cholesterol levels, on cardiovascular diseases, on earaches, on constipation, stomach upset, dry skin, lots of different skin ailments that doctors recommend the use of olive oil. And so it represents the physical bodily benefits of the land. If you look also at the sweetness, the very sweet honey dates, very uniquely pleasing to the palate. And that represents the physical contentment and satisfaction. And so these fruits embody the more physical, pragmatic, and earthly dimensions of the land. So these two fruits, two fruits that served at a table back in the Gemara, Rav Amnuna and Rav Chista, they are pomegranates and dates, and they get into a debate about what blessing to make. Which rather, not which blessing to make, but rather which one to make the blessing on. Remember, the pomegranates belong to the first land, to the sublime, to the spiritual element of Israel. The dates, on the other hand, they belonged to the second land, to the earthly Israel. And which is the one that the blessing is made on? Was it the spiritual one? Right? Well, we concluded, of course, that the dates 
the ones that are more related to the physical element of the land are the ones we make the blessing on. And I think there's a very deeply moving message here. The fruit closer to the land, even if it's closer to the second element of the land, has to be blessed first. Sometimes there may be a person who's deeply attentive to the first land, to the spirituality and the holiness of Israel. But unfortunately, they remain distant from it. They're somewhat apathetic and attached. And then there's someone else who may not be so educated about or attentive to the holiness and spirituality of Israel. But they're much closer to it physically. They're dedicated to it. They protect it. They care for it. Sacrifice their lives for it. Servant Sahal and the IDF. And that bond, it seems, the Gemara is saying, is more so with the second land, with that element of the physicality of Israel. And that's the one who needs to be blessed first. Because in the concrete reality, that's the Jew who's closer to the land of Israel. And so the Gemara says, that's why that's the one, that conclusion, the verdict of which fruit gets the blessing first, not the pomegranate, which is in the spiritual side of Israel, but rather the date, which is related to the physicality, to the physical elements, the earthliness of Israel. And so, this, I think, is a very important message to each of us in our own lives as well. How we apply to what to what we're connected with in the land of Israel. And Rabbi Nuna taught that it is those who are involved in the physicality and protecting the land of Israel, the ones who got their feet on the ground, they are the ones who inspire us most to bless God because their godliness and holiness shines above everyone else. Their physical sacrifice for the land and for the people, that's what inspires and invigorates us more than anything else. And so I asked earlier why it is that the praise of the land of Israel seems to be separated. First, we describe it in chapter 8, and then it's separated again in chapter 11. And maybe it's because the Torah is addressing two distinct features about the land of Israel. One is the physical benefits of the land, and the other is its spiritual depth. The Torah is emphasizing that the holy land, Eretz Yisrael, possesses two dimensions, which can be seen as distinct. First, in the chapter 8, addresses the physical benefits of the land, the economic opportunities, the aesthetic beauty, the fertile and, and nutritious qualities of the land. It's all described. The verse says, For Hashem your God is bringing you to a good land, a land with brooks of water, with fountains and depths that emerge in valleys and mountains, a land of wheat and barley, and describes in great detail things that we already described. Later, in chapter 11, the Torah addresses a very different aspect of the land. It's spiritual resourcefulness. And it's different than Egypt, the Torah says. In Egypt, there's no rain. The country receives its irrigation from the Nile. In Israel, you need to keep, you need to look up to heaven. You need to ask God for the rain. And in fact, the Torah describes it in this week's portion in detail. And when it says, a land that your God looks after, the eyes of Hashem are on it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, there's a special divine providence 
over the land of Israel, more so than any other part of the world. It is the blessing of Hashem that sustains the land. And that is a very important message that we have to keep in mind. And I think it's this message. Both the physical and the spiritual elements of Israel have to be synthesized. But when we look this week at the portion, and we look at the political events that are taking place without elaborating, we think about our soldiers who protect us. We think about their families. We think about those who are there protecting Jewish life and the Jewish way of life. We think here in our community it's important to have the rabbis in the schools, but think about the importance of our CSO and Hatzalah. Because there's two elements, two aspects of Jewish survival. One is the is the spirituality, what sustains us as Jews, our connection to Torah, our observance of mitzvahs. But at the same time, don't forget those who protect, those who are there as the physical protectors of the land of Israel. And that, I think, because it is the dates which come closer to the word Eretz, but they're in the second category, the ones relating to the physical elements and aspects about our holy land. Those are the ones that we make the blessing on first. Because they move us most to bless and become closer to God. If you think about the strengthening of Torah, also contributes to the security, to the well-being of the Jewish people. When a yeshiva student sits and studies Torah, of course they're protecting the country also just like a soldier who's positioned at the border, who's risking his life. But I think there's a certain added virtue, a benefit to the soldier who's guarding the border because he's actually putting his life there on the line for others. And in that sense, yes, there are important advantages and benefits to both the yeshiva student who's sitting and studying, learning Torah, but the soldiers are protecting and ensuring that he's able to sit and study the Torah. And this is the way that God created the world. Everything has its own advantage, its own unique element to it. In the words of our sages, more than the benefactor is doing for the pauper, the pauper is doing for the benefactor. What the Gemara is telling us is that although the Torah tells us that this is a poor person, and he needs help, and we have to give him charity. But the Torah is clarifying that the poor person doesn't need to feel inferior, God forbid, because at the same time, he is giving an opportunity to the benefactor who's giving him, who has the chance to give that charity. And so, I'd like to say that it's important for every single one of us to contribute in both ways. Yes, we have to, we have to do the spiritual aspect. When we don to fill in as men, we are bringing spiritual protection to the land of Israel. And the Talmud describes that by wearing the tefillin, the nations who are enemies will fear us because we are being spiritually committed to the land of Israel. But at the same time, we also have to be involved in the physical protection of our shuls, of our communities. Get involved. Volunteer with the CSO for your shul. Your shul needs that protection. And the only way the shul could be spiritually strong is if we are physically protected as well. 
And this is a message that I think is very important, both for the land of Israel to recognize our soldiers who put their lives on the line to protect us as Jews so we could visit our Holy Land, so we could live in our Holy Land, so that our sites are not mistreated as they were, unfortunately, during the 19 years when Jerusalem was occupied by Jordan. And at the same time, we have to not neglect, not forget the spiritual side. My dear friends, ladies and gentlemen, as I have to leave just in a moment, I would like to wish a blessing that we should all be inspired by the example of our courageous CSO volunteers and by our soldiers in Sahal and by all those who sacrifice some of their personal comforts, their time to protect our community and the soldiers who, who to protect our country and to protect our people all over the world. And may God give the leaders of Israel the strength and the courage to root out every vestige of terror which exists, which wants to exterminate every single Jew that lives in Israel and beyond. And may God bless the soldiers and all residents of our Holy Land and all the Jewish people. And may God protect their every step and bring true peace and redemption to our people and to all people of the world. And may we experience true peace for once. Amen. Stay tuned for Fresh Thinking Up next with Rabbi Ari Shishler after this little music interval.